It's go time. Welcome to Third Down Gamble, everybody. Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham as the group gets back together after its winter hiatus. And guys, first and foremost, every January we see this, we hear about it. There are rule changes that are discussed at the winter meetings. This year they had them in Nashville in the United States. Temperatures down there are probably a little better than where we've been, where it's been minus, what, 35 for a week. And by the way, to our American friends, when you get down to minus 35 Celsius, it doesn't matter if it's Fahrenheit or Celsius. It really doesn't because the temperature's even up at 40. The biggest one that was being discussed, and this came out on Twitter quite a bit and really got punted around, pardon the pun, was kickoffs. The idea that maybe we'll see fewer kickoffs in a game. I, I don't really know how I feel 100% about this one. The kick return game is an exciting part of the CFL and it's something that is lost in the NFL. You see so many touchbacks and the fair catch rule on punts is another one, but it just takes away any excitement in returns. I understand from the player safety perspective that we need to make sure there are rules in place to help protect players and keep them healthy. Eliminating the kicking game altogether would would not be great. They are looking at a few tweaks and giving the receiving team the opportunity to take the ball on the 40-yard line after a touchdown like they do after a field goal. I'm, it's, it's a good idea from the player's safety perspective as long as we're not trying to completely eliminate kick returns altogether. To me, one of the most exciting parts of the CFL game is the special team's play. Uh, both in the punt return and the kickoff. And this limits one of those plays. And, and you know, is, is this an attempt to potentially not only increase player safety, but you could also take a look at reducing rosters if you don't have to have a bunch of players to run the special teams. And for the development of players, I don't think that's a great thing. I would like to see kickoffs continue, but I think they are doing something right if they're going to eliminate the kickoffs where the teams can just choose as opposed to the NFL where it's we go through the whole motion of kicking and running everyone down the field for no purpose whatsoever if you're going to place it just call this we want the ball at this yard line we're not going to return it and then it eliminates that time from the game the worst thing about the NFL that I find is they have all this pregame hype get everybody in the crowd juiced up ready to go and then the opening kickoff goes 15 rows deep and they just wander out onto the field. It just t- knocks the stuffing out of the starts of games. Great player safety, always a priority. Love it. But then dispense with opening kickoffs in the NFL if you're just going to do this all the time. The The idea that there could be an unintended outcome, and as you allude to, Pat, that maybe rosters will change or maybe they'll be shrunk a little bit because you don't need these specialty players to run special teams or run down the field during special teams and tackle and block that could impact for sure a few positions on the field if they're not required anymore now we're not eliminating at least not yet and these meetings were in nashville we haven't heard the upshot of it yet as we record but the whole notion is to cut down the number of kickoffs so after a major score you have the choice to come to the 40 yard line if you prefer 
And that would maybe take two, three, four, five kickoffs out of a game. You still have kickoffs to start the game, the half, and in the final three minutes. That doesn't change. The short kickoff, which is still a feature of the CFL, remains intact. Pat raised a really good point about the rosters. If you're lessening the number of kickoffs, do you have a return specialist on your team anymore? Or do you go with a receiver or defensive back in that role? So we look at players like Mario Alford, Javon Leak, Janarian Grant, kickoff specialists. We don't want to lose that star caliber player. Let's wonder too, though, Tyreek McAllister, who had a breakout year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, signs with the Raiders in the NFL as what? If he's, if he's going to be a kick return specialist, they signed him to do what? Because he gets to stand there and watch the ball go over his head? Yeah, sometimes he gets to wave his hand for a fair catch as well. So it's a dual role. And how much money will he get paid to do that? <laughs> well, there's the rub. At minimum salaries in the NFL, as anyone knows, outstrip anything that the CFL or the new UFL can ever provide. That is a huge draw for anybody. And even if you're just running out in the field waiting 50 yards down the field, watching the ball go into the stands and then wandering back off the field and you're getting paid to do it. Why not, right? You can't, you can't fault a player for trying to make money whatever way. If it means you have to run out four times a game and watch the ball go over your head, I guess that's a pretty good career. There were a lot of tweets about this whole notion of changing the rule. And one of the themes that came out and I'm guessing it's probably the taking player safety to the next level and that was the fair catch business we do see it in the NFL where a receiver of a punt can wave his hand in the air catch the ball and nobody is allowed to touch him would that fly in the CFL we do have that five yard halo around the returner is it a concern or do you dare countenance it it would really change the game if that came to be the only time I really see danger on punt returns in the CFL is early in the season where you have a lot of new American players coming up and playing special teams and, and maybe not fully understanding the no yards halo as opposed to a fair catch. The five yards is a great way to continue to have a return game on punts. I, I'm all for it. I, I think the halo works, the no yards I'm okay with them having gone to a 15-yard, no yards, even when the ball's on the ground as opposed to caught in the air. That is all in the name of player safety. I don't believe we need a fair catch rule to further enhance player safety. The five-yard halo seems to be doing its job. I concur 100%, Heath. It, it is, again, an important part of the game is field position. And when you have an opportunity to see exciting players and the specialists that we talked about earlier return the ball. To me, that's an exciting part of the game. If you're successful and you've got a strong coach running the special teams to a point where it's advantageous to receive a kick return, whether it's a punt or a kickoff, I think that's an integral part of this game. And I would hate to see it lost, particularly in the punt, but also the kickoff. I, I'd love to see them not move forward with this rule, but if they do, hopefully We'll see how it works and whether or not it has the intended outcome. Well, let's look at how kick returns can change a game. Huge play turns the momentum around. If you start taking that away, 
And continuing on the the punting situation, another topic that came up was the onside punt that Montreal successfully pulled off twice this season. There are some of the other eight teams wanting to see rule changes to prevent that from happening. Don and I have discussed this at length in previous podcasts, and, and my take is if it's such a, an easy play, why isn't everybody doing it? The fact that it's been completely pulled off now twice in the modern era of the CFL doesn't warrant changing the rule. There, there could be some tweaks, and I've talked a bit about whether the ball should go to the first down yardage to be recovered for a first down or whether a forward pass behind the line of scrimmage still allows a, a, an onside punt. There are some tweaks to it, but that rule has to stay. It hasn't really come up that much from what I've learned at the talks when they were in Nashville. And the the whole idea, I think, got missed in some aspect. And this is something that I was thinking about after we discussed this, Heath. If you keep that rule in play, defenses just can't load up and cover everybody 15 yards down the field. Now they've got to actually start spying the guy coming out of the backfield. Before, they would just let him go, catch the ball, tackle him, and they'd be held short, whoopee skip. Now you actually have to pay attention to this, and this actually spreads the defense out and helps offenses move the ball down the field. We always want scoring. Well, anything that you can do to create tension in the defense and consternation, that is great. Good coaches will always take a look at the rules and try to find a way to utilize the rules to their advantage. And it's up to the other coaches to respond to that. And in this case, I think teams now need respond to it by having their defense players move up, which potentially opens up the game. I think it's a great thing to keep it in. I wouldn't change it. And we have to remember when Montreal was pulling this off, they were on plays of second and 19, second and 20. They advanced the ball about one yard. So it's not like they're gaining a field position advantage by by successfully completing this play they got a new set of downs and and that can be done by numerous penalties that automatically give you a first down as well it's a it's not that big of an advantage to get that first down gaining eight inches of real estate bc tried it about i think 10 years ago and it failed and no one was screaming for the rule to be changed at that point and we're getting all upset about that. It, it seems to be disproportionate to the actual event. I would leave it be. And if I recall, the first time that Montreal got it, they actually did something with the ball. That was in Ottawa. The second time against Hamilton, they went nowhere and they had to punt anyway. Second down. The quarterback carousel continues in the CFL. The biggest news so far this offseason is that the Edmonton Elks have released Taylor Cornelius and returning from a short stint in the USFL, McLeod Bethel-Thompson has now been signed by the Elks. What are your thoughts on this move? I think this is going to be a great move for Edmonton. Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed for Trey Ford because I think Trey Ford deserved an opportunity to step up and I think he's going to be very successful as a quarterback in this league. But McLeod Bethel-Thompson is an experienced quarterback who will be able to help Trey Ford as they transition to him if if he remains in Edmonton beyond this year. Bethel Thompson's going to have success. Uh, another thing that happened to help him, I think, would be the, the trade that 
takes Jake Ceresna from Edmonton to Toronto in returns for Curly Gittens, national receiver, who is a favorite target of McLeod Bethel Thompson when they played together in Toronto. So I think this will benefit Edmonton with his leadership, his experience, and the ability to move the football consistently. If we look at this on the whole, it's a great move for Bethel Thompson. There, It's very important to remember that he's got a huge factor in all of this in terms of where he feels comfortable. For the Edmonton Elks, signing him, yes, they get experience. Yes, they get a guy that really cares about the CFL and really cares about what his legacy is going to be. And this is a great opportunity for him to to do that. But he also works with an offensive coordinator that he worked with in Toronto, a head coach who happened to cross paths with him when he was in Toronto. McLeod Bethel-Thompson, he looks at this and says, wait, I've got an OC, I've got a head coach, and I've got one of my favorite receivers all from where I was here. This isn't bad for me. The 2023 season, that quarterback room for the Edmonton Elks was very young. You had Taylor Cornelius, who was the most seasoned of the three quarterbacks, Jared Dagey, who had not played in the CFL prior to, and Trey Ford, who was used pretty sparingly. McLeod Bethel-Thompson brings a veteran presence in that quarterback room. What I would like to see is getting some plays in that offensive playbook catered to Trey Ford as well to keep him motivated and active in that lineup. These are two ends of the quarterback spectrum. You've got McLeod Bethel-Thompson, who is a, a real pocket passer, accurate and can put up a lot of yards. Trey Ford likes to get out of the pocket. He scrambles. He doesn't throw for a lot of yards in the game, but he's an offensive weapon with his feet as well. I don't think you can have the exact same playbook and plug Trey Ford in from McLeod Bethel Thompson and vice versa. They need to set up a dynamic offense and utilize both of these guys. If Jarius Jackson can make the magic that had happened with McLeod Bethel-Thompson when they were together in Toronto, then Edmonton is definitely going to benefit from this. That combination should work out very well as OC and and starting quarterback. The problem that I had with all of this is Edmonton has put a lot of stock in their marketing and in their future with Trey Ford. And suddenly now you've brought in a guy that is a bona fide starter. There's no way that Ford's going to start ahead of him. Now, where does Trey Ford do? He's on an expiring contract. He he is done at the end of 2024. Does he look at the situation and go, well, thanks, but hey, I'm going to test free agency. I'm going to go where somebody's going to pay me and play me, where here I may never see the field, especially because... McLeod Bethel-Thompson is pretty durable. He doesn't typically wind up on the sideline with an injury. If I'm Trey Ford, having Coach Jones not give me a vote of confidence last year until they absolutely had to play me, and now following this up by going out and finding another quarterback, when I became a free agent at the end of this next season, I would definitely be looking for a team because I think there'll be other opportunities for him to step into that starter's role. This, I think, will help his development but I don't think it's going to encourage him to stay in Edmonton. That's a very valid point. And what is the long-term future of McLeod Bethel-Thompson? He was unsure after 2022 whether he was going to play anywhere. He did go south of the border for an opportunity. Now he's back. Do you see him playing beyond 2024, 2025 at best? And then where does that leave the Edmonton Elks organization if Trey Ford walks away at the end of this season? 
That's a great point, Heath. Uh, if you watch, and it's on YouTube, the Edmonton Elks uh, YouTube channel, you can see the interview with McLeod Bethel Thompson. One of the things that I'll give him credit for was that he phoned Trey Ford after he signed and let Trey Ford voice his concern. In other words, just unload a bit. <laughs> and that is a really generous move by Bethel Thompson because he knows he's just took the job away from the guy. Bethel Thompson loves football. He wants to play football. The CFL has been pretty good to him. He went and tried the USFL. It just didn't work out for him. He came back looking for an opportunity in the CFL. Ottawa made a bid for him, didn't get him. If it works out in Edmonton, I can't say that we won't see Bethel Thompson there for three to five years. He's He hasn't taken the beating that a lot of other guys have, even though he's getting up there at 35. He, he could last until he's 40. And Do you want a 40-year-old quarterback leading your team? Well, Damon Allen did. This is happening a lot in the league right now. We've got that, that bevy of older quarterbacks that we know only have a few years left to play in the league with a bunch of younger quarterbacks waiting for their chance to play. I look at um, Trevor Harris. You look at Bo Levi Mitchell. There's a number of others. um, Jeremiah Mazzoli would be included in that. And and there's going to be a transition at some point. So these young quarterbacks, whoever steps out first, there's got to be an opportunity for some of them to, for quarterbacks to get into the game as a starter in order to progress as quarterbacks in the league. A lot of these young quarterbacks are waiting for their chance and teams are holding on to these quarterbacks until they're very old. And I think that's going to impact the league as a whole within the next few years as these quarterbacks step out. Well, we could see upwards of four to five quarterbacks suddenly retire en masse because they're all tripping over 35 years old. The only one that's on the cusp of that that probably wouldn't be a factor just yet is Vernon Adams Jr., but another veteran quarterback that's getting up there. If the if the trend is towards keeping that veteran presence, that's fine. But I do think you have to start playing the youth. You, you saw it a lot last year just because injury necessitated it. We saw a lot of quarterbacks that we would not have normally seen. Now that they've had that opportunity, why not let them grow with it? And this is where I have a little bit of trouble with McLeod Bethel-Thompson. It's not that it's him that I worry about, but it's just the whole notion of bringing him in when you've already got Trey Ford work, progressing through the system. I, I just don't quite get it. But uh, Chris Jones does what Chris Jones does. He, he's always been his own man. We'll see how this plays out. The... You mentioned, too, about young quarterbacks. There's a lot of them that are becoming free agents. Saskatchewan's Jake Dolagala, Mason Fine are out there and available. Taylor Cornelius has got to land somewhere. Dane Evans has left BC, retired, and gone to coach in the United States. Drew Brown is the carrot right now. He's the one that I'm trusting is the most appetizing to everybody out there. Drew Brown, though, does not want to go and be a backup. He wants to go and be a starter. And he's at that age, 26 years old, where that typically happens. He's paid his dues. Now he wants to be the guy that leads the team. Where does that happen? 
this is quite a contrast from where we were immediately after the Grey Cup. We had been talking at that point about what does Saskatchewan do at starting quarterback? What does Hamilton do at starting quarterback? Well, what they do is they rework the contracts of their veteran players to bring them back around. And we see Trevor Harris and Bo Levi Mitchell both restructure and look to still be competing for that number one job. The city that is the most likely to see a new starter is the Ottawa Red Blacks. They have not completely written Jeremiah Mazzoli off at this point, but it's highly unlikely that he is going to be the de facto number one quarterback this season. There could be some competition and Drew Brown could be a part of that. The only other spot I see with a big battle for a starting quarterback is potentially Calgary. And are they happy with the performance of Jake Mayer or do they bring in somebody to challenge him for that number one role? Uh, Jake Mayer was another of the quarterbacks that had his contract restructured. Now, when we say that, everyone's thinking, well, they took a pay cut. Well, they did in some sense, but they also got it front-loaded with bonus money. And it's kind of a a tax thing, and it's kind of a a salary cap thing. It helps the player, and it helps the team. The other thing that happened, especially with Bo Levi Mitchell and with Jeremiah Mazzoli, it's an incentive-laden contract. If you do this, 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 and this, you get paid this. So that would be performances. That would be achieving so many yards passing, so many touchdown passes, whatever the team makes it to the quarter, the semifinals. This is all part of their incentive-ladenness, where if you look at Jake Mayer, it was more to make room for other signings. In Saskatchewan, Trevor Harris, because again, another of the, well, three of the four that got restructured were injured last year for most of the year. Uh, Trevor Harris being injured, we don't know how strong that leg is going to be. And Jeremy O'Day, even at the press conference when Corey Mace was being introduced, was kind of being hesitant about absolutely anointing Trevor Harris as his starting quarterback. He wanted to think about the future, and I do believe that you've got to build. Do they stay in-house, or do they go after Drew Brown? I wonder, given the amount of injuries in the league last year, if some of these young or backup quarterbacks decide to take an incentive-laden contract themselves and play in a backup role to some of these teams that have aging veterans that could be injured or will leave within the next year or two. If you sign a contract for a backup salary with incentives, if you're playing full-time to make starter wages... There's the possibility if a quarterback in front of you gets injured to make some good money and to be a starter. You could do that. But again, when you're getting to be 26, 27 years old, Chad Kelly, for instance, how many more years was he supposed to wait before he got to start? We talk about quarterbacks hitting the age of 30 and then the age of 35. Well, you're not that far away in either case, either Drew Brown or Chad Kelly. You've got to start playing at some point. You may as well do it now. This this is the time to make your hay and go out and do something with it. The, the Argonauts are the one team probably that aren't interested in Drew Brown. But I would venture to say that Hamilton could throw a flyer at him. Ottawa for sure will. And Saskatchewan, you might think even BC might take a chance at him. Calgary's possible too. Drew Brown probably the next best quarterback out there. And he has to now decide, where is it that I'm going to be a starter 
And Drew Brown also has to pay attention to which team he goes to. We've seen a quarterback have great success in a strong system, and I speak specifically of Nick Arbuckle here, and yet when he gets to a team that doesn't have the same kind of system or structure, doesn't play well and could potentially end up out of the league this year because people may not want to pick him up. Um, Drew Brown's got to be careful of that too and find a spot where he can bide his time and get into a strong system. Brown took an immense leap forward in 2023 from where he had been previously, but the sample size is still small. You look at the number of games he has started or even participated in and taken meaningful snaps, it's a pretty limited number. He had a phenomenal 2023 season. The stats were were fantastic. The touchdown to interception ratio, the yards per completion, all of those benchmarks that you want to see he's hitting. But is it sustainable over the course of an 18-game season? Is it sustainable also in a team that doesn't have the same offensive line or running game that Winnipeg has, a successful system that's been going for some time? You put him somewhere with a new offensive coordinator or a team that doesn't have that offensive line or running attack, is he going to be that successful? These quarterbacks who are looking to sign as backups have to take that into consideration as well. If you're Saskatchewan and you want to sign him, you have made the moves to do so. You haven't signed anybody that you played last year other than Trevor Harris being under contract for another year. If they want Drew Brown to be their starting quarterback, the time is now to make your bid and and go after him. Ottawa for sure wants to be in on the conversation because they missed out on Thompson. They want a bona fide starter because they they are worried about Mazzoli and his health, Tyree Adams and his health. Is Dustin Crum going to be a starter or not? They I'm sure the jury is a bit out on him. Taylor Powell in Hamilton might be looking over his shoulder a little bit. This is a difficult situation for a young quarterback and you've got another young quarterback coming out at the same time who comes with some stock. I guess the the good news for all of the teams right now is everybody has a capable quarterback under contract. It's now fitting in the other pieces. We saw, even if you take Ottawa, for example, Dustin Crum got the majority of starts for them last year. So he's proven that he can be a quarterback in this league. Whether he can be elite is still in question, but he's probably the least tested. If you look at Jeremiah Mazzoli not being the number one guy in any market right now, that's that's your untested quarterback. And that's a pretty good situation for all nine teams to be in. It's going to be a tough road for these free agent quarterbacks that are fighting for playing time, I don't believe there's going to be huge contracts thrown really at any of them. Now, Taylor Cornelius, who was released by the Elks, is available right now. He doesn't have to wait for free agency to start because they cut him. That means that anybody that wants to can go after him at this moment. Does it mean that the BC Lions, who don't have a backup quarterback right now, take a flyer and go after Cornelius? Who else is in the mix on him? He had decent seasons in Edmonton. They just weren't great. Well, this is a a case where does Winnipeg say goodbye to Drew Brown and not even bother trying to re-sign him because they know he's going to demand a higher salary? And did they pick up somebody like Taylor Cornelius to back up Zach Kolaris? Pat, you made a good point about systems and, and success. We saw the struggles of Taylor Cornelius in Edmonton him coming into that established Winnipeg offense, 
behind Zach Kolaris? Is that going to be a good fit for him? They're similar quarterback styles in, in the way that they play the game. They're not great runners, but they can run if they have to. Drop back passers behind a strong line. I think whoever ends up in Winnipeg as a backup is going to have a great opportunity to increase their value should they choose to look for a different team at a different time or be the next quarterback to follow Zach Caleros. There's been some other changes in the league since we were last together. Some of the changes have to do with coaching staffs. And in Winnipeg, we've seen a change with Jordan Younger becoming the new defensive coordinator there, while Richie Hall stays on with Winnipeg in a yet-to-be-announced role. We also see Saskatchewan has filled their coaches. And Mike Miller retired. He also became a special teams coach in Winnipeg. So what do you think of these moves? The one that surprised me the most is Jordan Younger in Winnipeg. Now, there was a lot of speculation that if he didn't move up in Winnipeg, he was probably moving on. Winnipeg smartly then said, okay, we're going to do something about this. But then, of course, you've got a guy that was your defensive coordinator for eight years now being pushed aside. Was that cover zero in the Grey Cup catching up to him? It might be just a good time to have him as a tutor for Jordan Younger as they transition, which you don't often see where you have an, a, an exiting coach stick around to help the new coach come in. Richie Hall has been a polarizing defensive coordinator throughout his coaching career in the CFL. He, he had a, a philosophy that he wasn't afraid to give up yards if they prevented giving up points. And that was one thing that Winnipeg has done very well over the last four seasons for sure. And the outcry is when he makes mistakes or allegedly makes mistakes, they are catastrophic. And the, the last play of the Grey Cup giving up the winning score is a prime example of that. I like the move, and I also like promoting Mike Miller to special teams coordinator, the all-time leading special teams tackler in the CFL since that stat started to be recorded and Winnipeg special teams, they didn't give up a lot of return touchdowns, but they gave up big chunks of return yards. And that was a glaring hole that was missing with Mike Miller on the sidelines as an injured player. Now he's going to have that opportunity to coach the rest of that cover team. I think this is a fantastic move. And again, it shows the Bombers' willingness and ability to develop coaches from within and promote Buck Pierce being the other one most recently was a, a backs coach and became offensive coordinator when Paul Lapolis left. They, they have this, this ladder that these guys keep climbing up and it's great to see. You talk about continuity and that's exactly what Winnipeg is achieving with all of this because you get to work your way through the system. You start as a team's coordinator, you start as a, a linebacker's coordinator and you move your way up in through the system. And Jordan Younger, who had defensive backs last year as his key responsibility, and they played very well. They, that group as a core, other than maybe giving up the long ball early in the season, really seemed to settle down. And the other uh, new OC in Saskatchewan is Mark Mueller. Now, that's a name that's familiar to Stampeder fans, but it's also a name familiar to Rough Rider fans because that's the grandson of the late, great, quarterback of the Rough Riders, Ron Lancaster. So it's a bit of a homecoming. 
It's interesting to see Saskatchewan go with Mark Mueller. I think he'll be new blood at the offensive coordinator's position in Saskatchewan. However, we know that the Saskatchewan fans are tough on those offensive coordinators. And the year previous, Mark Mueller was an offensive coordinator calling some of the plays in Calgary and got demoted. So to see Corey Mace pick him, it's interesting. We looked at Mark Mueller in Saskatchewan the year previous, and, and he chose not to come. So now must be a better time to come in the fact that he can develop as an offensive coordinator with a new head coach who's going to be there for some time. You've got to believe in Corey Mace's mind that if he didn't trust him, he wouldn't have brought him. And we don't know in Calgary how that offensive coordinatorship works because you've got Dave Dickinson who had his hands on a lot of that in Calgary. How much freedom did they have? If you look at the Mueller situation, it's a bit of a guess as to how this is going to play out. The Rough Riders have one quarterback sign. They have no running back sign. The offensive line is pretty much intact. They have a couple of receivers that are taking their opportunities to check out the NFL before that window closes. Doesn't totally know who's going to be available from them, Samuel Amulus being the most notable one. So the Rough Riders are in flux on offense. There's going to be some change there. And Mueller, does that say to him, this is a tough situation because now I've got to train a lot of people or this is a great situation because I get to mold a lot of people? I think given the struggles of the Rough Riders over the last two seasons, the fans are going to give a lot of leeway to Corey Mace and his staff this year. I, I think the, the fresh start was needed in Ryderville, and Corey Mace has done and said all the right things so far since he's been announced as the head coach of this team. Patience is going to be the key, and hopefully for the sake of these new coaches, the fans give them that bit of a break. They could come out gangbusters and be a, a playoff and Grey Cup contender. It's too early to tell at this point, but even if they're not, it might be the right pieces to put this franchise back together and back to the level that they were at not that long ago. There's been some other signings throughout the CFL on various teams, and one that stands out to me was the release, well, not always signings, but sometimes the release stands out more. In this case, the release of Dominic Rimes, who's been a dominant wide receiver for BC after seeing Alexander Hollins and Keon Hatcher get re-signed. I think this is certainly a case of not enough money to go around to the players that they had in their cadre of receivers. There, there's talk that Javon Katoy is close to signing an extension as well. So it has become a situation where the Lions have been rich in receiver over the last few seasons. And unfortunately for them, they're starting to price themselves out. And, and that seems to be the case in this situation with Dominic Rimes. I believe he still has more game. He's a capable receiver. Time will tell where he ends up for the 2024 season. Does he ever go back to Ottawa? They're in need of receivers. I kind of thought the nail went into the coffin of Dominic Grimes in that game against Winnipeg when on the final play, instead of catching the ball and going to ground to set up the game-winning field goal, he took off to try to score the game winner and got stopped at the 15-yard line. He saw glory. He took a chance. There were other problems. He, he was injured a little bit last year and... Not every game was his production that great. I think you also see the the two receivers that they did sign 
stepping up. And this last year, both Alexander Hollins and Keon Hatcher were the first look for uh, Vernon Adams Jr. And I think that that's why the team needed to resign them. Dominic Rimes and Lucky Whitehead became afterthoughts in that offense. And I think it's time for that team to look at different receivers at lower rates to potentially redistribute some of their salary cap to other positions. Hollins, especially in the second half of the season, I think he was the key receiver for BC in that push down the stretch. Does Dominic Rimes sign somewhere before the free agency window? Again, this is a player that is now able to sign with any team in the league. And if and when he does, that's going to start to fill in the gaps as to what current roster spots are maybe not going to be re-signed. And a name that, that comes to mind that's due for a big raise is Winnipeg's Dalton Schoen. We know Kenny Lawler has restructured his contract. Dalton Schoen was a steal on a rookie contract over these last couple of seasons. Is he going to price himself out of Winnipeg? Or does he look at the success of that team and think this is a fit for me? If all of a sudden Dominic Rimes is a Winnipeg Blue Bomber, I think that answers your question about the future of Dalton Schoen. Before we get away from this, Hatcher signed a three-year deal, and I'm certain that was because he's going to miss most of 2024 recovering from the Achilles tear that he had in the West Final. So the Lions decided to extend the contract to make sure they had him after. The other person in Winnipeg that we've got to be wondering about is Brady Oliveira. Is he going to resign with the Blue Bombers or, as he used Bugs Bunny counting the money on Twitter, is he looking to go somewhere to get paid? This raises that question that Pat brought up about systems, though, as well. One thing that has enabled him to be successful so far as a, as a feature running back in the CFL is playing behind one of the top two offensive lines in the CFL for a couple of seasons. If he wants to get paid he also needs to put himself in a situation where he can be successful. Making all the money in the world as a running back and averaging 2.7 yards per carry is a good way to get that contract released at the end of one season. He is a premier Canadian running back. The last one has just retired, Andrew Harris. Oliveira, will he get as much money as he expects? Maybe. Depends on how many teams are vying for him. If you look at Winnipeg, there could be a massive change in that offense. Not so much along the line, because they've pretty much solidified it for the upcoming season. Their weapons on the outside and in the backfield, that could be turned over. And, and that's part of the, the pain of success. At Toronto Argonauts, we may see uh, the boats all run to Regina as they follow their head coach from the defense. The Rough Riders released Derek Moncrief. That's got to be a sign that they're hoping they're going to bring one of the Argonauts linebackers to Regina. They, these All these puzzle pieces start moving around. Another running back that, that's going to also set the market will be A.J. Ouellette, again behind a great line in Toronto. Uh, he's an American running back out there, and to date we haven't seen any of the running backs get re-signed by their team. Those two are going to set the market for the running backs. Dominic Rimes is now one of the premier receivers that's a free agent at this point that could sign with other teams. It'll be interesting to see with Austin Mack signing with the Atlanta Falcons if Montreal doesn't take a look at a receiver like Dominic Rimes or a big-name receiver to augment their offense. That's a big loss for them. One of the things that the Alouette said, uh, General Manager Danny Machocha, 
at the end of the season when he had his exit interviews with the players, they all to a player said they wanted to be back. Of course, the NFL is going to come knocking. That could change some opinions. But for anybody that doesn't get an NFL ride, you can look to see that the Alouettes are likely, given the number of signings they've had already, and especially in their linebacking core, that they are going to be standing pat as best as they can and continuing to build that winning way that found them a Grey Cup champion in 2023. That continuity breeds success as well. And we talked about this with Winnipeg, that the number of free agents that they've brought back over the last couple of seasons, guys that have reworked contracts to enable them to put that team together. It sounds like it's a similar situation in Montreal. The players really respect Jason Moss as their coach and have bought into the system that he and Danny Machocha have brought to Montreal. So it's a great sign for Alouettes fans to see that excitement for these players. They're not necessarily all out there chasing the dollar. They're chasing the success that they have built in Montreal. for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.